Hello, everybody, and welcome to the intro to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. This is a special extra introduction before we get on to the main event, a sort of pre-show, if you will. The main event later is an episode called Meeting Suck, Get Organized, which was first released, I think, in what was it, 2018, 2019? Yeah, August 6, 2018. This is an episode that we put behind the paywall, but a bunch of patrons on our Discord and Facebook group thought that it would be a good thing to put this one out for people. They thought it would be useful for people, especially with what's going on right now. So they said, release it. And since it's their episode, we made it for them. We have to listen to them. So, <laughs> Under the marching orders of our generous and big-hearted patrons, here is an episode originally from Behind the Paywall. But before we get on to that, we actually have another special thing that we want to share with you folks. It is a sketch that we did with the Surfs, the YouTube comedy group that is also based out of Vancouver, where we're based. Yeah, we did a stream with them a little while back, and we'll put a link to that also in the description. And we kind of did a sketch like live on stream and our thought was oh hey we'll edit the sketch down add sound effects make it sound all cool and then release it on one of our episodes the sketch we chose ended up being like a boardroom scene so there wasn't a ton of sound effects for me to add but uh, it's really fun though and it's about COVID-19. So first we'll have that sketch and then we'll move on to the classic August 2018 episode, Meeting Suck, Get Organized. Hope everyone's doing well. Oh, and if you don't already know, we've got a new reading group, a book club on the Discord server for patrons. And if money is a barrier to you, let us know. And we're still happy to open the doors and have you be part of the book club. We hope you'll be part of the book club. It's a really fun, wonderful thing. And I hope you can be part of it. I'm really happy to have you guys in here today. We are a data analytics firm working for the government, and we're hoping to get a solution to this COVID mess. We know there's a big impact on the economy. Well, absolutely. My re-election campaign totally hinges on the economy bouncing back and getting people back to work. It's the only thing that matters, the only thing that has ever mattered, and the only thing that will ever matter. The economy doesn't get back to work. If we don't all get back to work, then you know nobody makes any money, and we all starve and die, right? So we crunch the numbers and I think we have a solution. Lay it on. The first slide I'm going to be showing you here is called the everyone stays home, doesn't work, and therefore dies scenario. This is with social distancing and other measures. As you can see here we've kept the death toll at a respectable but perhaps a bit too low 150,000 innocent human beings. Now I'm just going to interject here and say that President Dave will not understand the graphs unless you use a very bright neon yellow marker. So uh, I'd like you to now trace the graphs that you have there with a marker for the president. Oh, absolutely. Just, We're used to that with politicians. And now here is the second slide. Now this is called the booming, roaring economy. Everyone returns to work and everyone survives model. Three million debt. But what is the Dow in the second picture? That's the most important thing, sir. The only thing that we should be uh, interested in. Yeah, so we'll just put an overlay over both of those graphs with the uh, monetary graphs. And you'll Ooh. see here that in the first They're scenario, green. economy bad. Second scenario, green, beautiful economy, like a plant, like a tree growing into the sun. Well, see, now I don't like trees, but I do like money. And trees remind me of money because that's what we used to make the money out of. So will we have enough people left to vote? for me to retain my power. 
Absolutely. And some of these people might even have babies and they'll teach their babies to vote for you if you're the one who saved their economy for them. And then once we have the babies, can we push more of their parents away? Create another stimulus boost. If we need a second boom for the economy, we are leaving the option open to sacrifice another few million. Mm. Look, it's mostly old people that die. So if we just encourage people to keep having babies, we can have maybe a faster turnover in the uh, worker employment realm of, you know, people live shorter lives, but they have more babies. It'll be fine from a business perspective. But but sir, you, you should keep in mind, Mr. President, that uh, these babies won't be able to vote. And old oh. people do vote en masse, right? Unless we can change the voting age for newly born fetuses, for example. Can we do that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm loving this. You should also ask, Mr. President, how many people do we need to sacrifice in order to make this the most profitable? And basically, it's the stonks. It's the stonk market, and we need it to keep going on the up direction. So, look, we've made a bunch of scenarios here, but like basically, if you want a really simple answer, the more people we sacrifice, the better the economy. So you can do a whole range within that, you know, people are going to get mad that you're killing their grandparents, obviously. But you know, if we target which grandparents we're killing to the people who don't matter so much, because you don't want to kill all the grandparents, but there's models. Absolutely. We keep the rich ones. I need that support. Something easy that you can bring to the shareholders, if you want to talk about this plan, is we crunch the numbers. And so if you're an average shareholder, you look at your holdings, say you've got $100,000 in stock, who knows? For every person that we sacrifice to the economic reality, let's say, the gods, the line, you can count on a return on your investment per person of one-tenth of one percent for every dollar you have invested. Oh, sorry, one one-hundredth of one percent. I misread that. One one-hundredth of one percent per human life as a return on investment for you, the shareholders. You can bring that to all your donors, anything. If they're like, hey, you know, my mailman died, my gardener died, my servant died. You could say, look, do you want a return on investment or not? because I thought we were living in an economy, not a living <laughs> servant world. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, well, I'm just souls. You guys have done some t tremendous work. We call him Capitalor, and he, he's quite a forgiving god, but he's a hungry god. So we will need to feed quite a few human meat sacks to him. Do we have a number on the meat sacks, by the way? I haven't heard a hard number on meat sacks. Oh, it's low millions to mid millions, depending on how much you want to cash. How much do you want to cash in, sir? As much as possible. It's the, it is the American way, after all. So mid millions it is. So be it. And let's leave the door open for a possible high millions. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as much as I would like to see high millions, I do just want to warn you, like we don't want to anchor people too much. So there might be a dampening effect, even though, you know, if people were more rational, the more millions dead, the more economy, obviously. But, you know, sometimes you leave that to me in the way of the logic. Have you seen idiocracy? That's what we're living under. And we look down on them. And that's why you're there and we're here and they're outside in the streets fighting for masks. <laughs> Can we also ask about, is there some kind of unproven drug maybe one that's warning there are thousands of people who want to work for you for free and you don't let them
So, you know, in political organizing, meetings get a lot of shit. Yeah. Some of it's fair, some of it's not. <laughs> like, what's your experience in, like, activism? What's the most successful meeting you've ever been to? What were the features of a successful meeting? Features of a successful meeting? There was specific topics that needed to be covered, specific decisions that needed to be made. Uh-huh. Somebody was making sure that we got to those topics quickly, one after another, like, you know, spend the time we need to spend to talk about it, but, you know, make a decision, assign tasks for how those things should be carried out. Like people taking responsibility for elements of the decision that were made. So-and-so is going to take over this part. So-and-so is going to take over this part. We really need someone to X. Anyone here? You? You? Oh, Jeffrey. Perfect. Thank you, Jeffrey. That's exactly... uh... (laughs) That's what a successful meeting has in it. Yes. Did anyone in the circle like take up way too much space and talking about an irrelevant topic? Just like going wildly off, just start talking about some other random thing. And then no one in the group had the confidence or wherewithal to stand up and say, hey, actually, we don't want to talk about this or you're not, actually not out in of the order. successful meetings, <laughs> <laughs> but I have I have experienced that in meetings and more than just being afraid to speak up about it. More often, someone else would have an opinion on one of the things that that person uh, yeah. who's off topic said. So the stack starts. <laughs> yeah. That, just then they the got to say their opinion. Monologue and then stack. All like, of a sudden, our organizing meeting is spent 30 <laughs> minutes arguing about chemtrails. And you're like, wait, wait, yeah, why? Wait a minute. We were actually making a decision on the purchasing of balloons for the event on (laughs) November 6th, but now we're arguing about the fundamental purpose of our organization again. And it seems to be a certain person who always starts this conversation. I feel like saying that. One specific person. And I'm not talking about any specific person. I've just experienced it a ton of times. Specific people come to mind for me as being really bad. Yeah, like throughout the years, there are some motherfuckers. And these like, oh man, these bureaucrats. Okay, rules are good. I'm in favor of rules in general. I think rules can really make things go smoothly. But there are some people who have such an erotic fixation on the rules that they will throw away the entirety of the purpose of the organization (laughs) just to make sweet, sensual love to the rules in front of everyone, no matter how disgusted everyone else is with this gratuitous display of eroticism towards the rules in themselves, no matter what we have to sacrifice for it. You know, that's the way romantic love is sometimes. You know, you throw away everything else. You don't even think about it. Just in love with those rules. Just in love with those rules. You're like, fuck it all, man. I'm going to drop. Screw what we're all here to do screw the fact that other people have limited time in their schedule and they're making time to do this and i want to respect and honor that work fuck that noise i'm in love i'm in love with rules and i need to show it i need to show it in front of everyone right now yeah when i think about meetings i think about like dread of nothing happening and just sitting through conversation that I wouldn't sit through in any other situation because ostensibly there's a goal in mind, but the goal never materializes. And I don't know how you get around that. I mean, the only meetings I was a part of that weren't like that were like that because 
two people just took control and were the bosses of the meeting and they were effective at it. But all those people who like to talk who got kicked out weren't happy about it. So it wasn't very open or democratic. It was it was There's an authoritarian mode of compliance in the organization that you're in that was able to break this problem. Yes. It was by just brutally expelling people who disagreed with Dear Leader. Yes. <laughs> So that's the problem, too. And I think over the course of this episode of Seriously Wrong, we might be able to get to the bottom of this. This is a pretty intractable problem. It's been mm. going on for a long time. Yeah. I've got some ideas. I think we can work through this. Oh, good, because I have no ideas. So You have none at all? Zero. Okay, perfect, because I actually have way too much. <laughs> okay, so, good. So that's the right balance. So everyone, we need you now, if you're willing, to sit back, relax... And get ready for a new episode of Seriously Wrong, hosted by Sean and Aaron, as usual. That's Sean. I'm Aaron. Uh, it's and Sean this here. Is this is Sean's wrong. voice. That's Aaron's voice. Welcome to the show. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by the person who only shows up for planning meetings, but never is involved in any of the actual day-to-day -day work. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you all again. I've been just swamped lately. That's why I haven't been out door knocking or helping to gather signatures. I also haven't been able to take a look at any of the web design stuff. That's my area of expertise. But, you know, I do so much of that at my job. So busy. But what I did last night was prepare a 36 bullet pointed list about all the things that everybody else has been doing wrong. Because I have such a discerning eye, I'm able to catch a lot of things that are suboptimal, unnecessary wastes of time, very good eye for stuff like that. So as I get into my 42 point bullet list of all your errors, I just want to say that I hope you can all take this feedback with appreciation and if i don't cut him off he's never going to stop talking but yeah he, the show is sponsored by him a proud sponsor of seriously wrong guy who only shows up to the meetings and uh, he's been really busy clearly but he's got a lot of feedback on the blood sweat and tears that you've poured into the thing that he hopes to control from atop the show is sponsored by him And now it's time for the Seriously Wrong Book Club. Today's book club pick is called Swarmwise, and it's by Rick Falkvigne, the founder of the Swedish Pirate Party. I read this book in 2015, and it changed the way that I look at organizing in really significant ways that have proved extremely valuable to me. This episode is going to feature a lot of ideas from that book that are being regurgitated and reinterpreted by me through my years of participating in various groups. So, yeah, I want to give a shout out to this book. It's available free uh, as a PDF. The guy who wrote it, it's the founder of the Swedish Pirate Party. So maybe that shouldn't be surprising. Yeah, give it away for free. <laughs> but it is, it's also available for sale, obviously. It's perfectly consistent for someone who is in favor of abolishing intellectual property, who would still use intellectual property as a way of gaining an income under capitalism. But I do endorse Rick's decision to release it for free, uh, which is how I first read it. Anyway, so at a very basic level, I want to talk about this concept of a swarm. 
this would be sort of like Rick's description of a swarm, is that a swarm is a group of people who are pointed towards an end, all working on the same path. Right. So his conception of a swarm is basically a model for activist organizations. Yeah. There's an element of the swarm that I think is really, really key to understanding how it functions, how like a group of people, how a group of activists can best function. So in a large group of people, democratic decision-making can take multiple different forms. There's one form of democratic decision-making that would say, what is the capital of France? Okay, let's have a vote. Whoever wins, okay, we've determined Paris is the capital of France. Right. A sort of swarm intelligence mode of getting this information would say, okay, capital of France. Who here knows what the capital of France is? Some people raise their hands. You ask them, what is the capital of France? And it's like, yeah, okay, there's mostly agreement there except for one person. So let's, <laughs> the basic idea is that within swarm intelligence, you're utilizing everyone's brains as part of a complementary organism. If you're debating about what color a pamphlet is in an organization, that's not a decision that requires 20 minds on it. I mean, ideally, you'd want to have a trusting organization where one mind can determine that and yeah. there's not a problem. But if you want to have like sort of a safety check, you can make three people in charge of it. But 20 people deciding color of a pamphlet? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that an effective swarm would not be based on having everyone discuss every issue for as long as they all want to? Yes, absolutely. Right. And so this is where it gets sort of nuanced. And this is where it requires further theory to elaborate how to best do this. Mm -hmm. But if we accept that the premise is that we need to utilize people's skill sets to their maximum capacity, utilize people's knowledge when they have it, and emphasize the parts of everyone's knowledge and skill sets that best functionally support the organization and complementarity, rather than this idea of well, the most important thing in the world is that we have a democratic decision where we all sit around. So this is sort of like folk politics, is the basis of legitimacy of the color of the pamphlet is passing it through the committee. If someone were to decide the color of the pamphlet without using the committee, that would be tyranny. Right, but couldn't the committee have already pre-decided that this is not something that's important? Like there's a whole category of things that we've decided the committee doesn't deal with. Those three people deal with it. So what you're describing is something that should be common sense, but isn't because bureaucracy has this incredible capacity to take over leftist organizations. So one of the problems with this is that leftist organizations often have to do work to stay existing. Hmm. So like you either need to maintain the funding level that you need under capitalism, whatever you're doing, like whatever your function is requires a certain amount of money. So you need to do fundraising for that. Or like, for example, when I was involved in a federal political party here in Canada, the Pirate Party, we needed to get either 250 or 500 signatures of members of the party every three years mm -hmm. that they have to re-sign every three years that they're a member of the party. And the entire third year leading up to the time when we had to renew it would be completely focused on, holy geez, we need to get 500 signatures. <laughs> we don't have 500 members in any legitimate sense, except for our ability to recruit 500 people right now. And so I think this logic, the self-perpetuating logic under the constraints that are put on all of our lives with free time, mm -hmm. the need to support ourselves and the need for the organization to support itself, underneath 
all that pressure, there's this sort of twisted bureaucratic culture that comes out. Like I think of it as like the bureaucracy becomes self-aware and starts acting through the people in the organization where like people are slamming fists on the table and yelling at each other by law 16.7 about the subcommittee of the blank committee needs to be amended. It's like, doesn't have to be amended. You piece of shit. And like throwing (laughs) chairs. And it's like, guys, Jesus Christ, we're here to solve homelessness. We're here to help people find homes. We need to depict this color for this pamphlet. And, and, <laughs> oh God, just describing this horrible death spiral of never being able to accomplish anything because the team can't come to a decision. Choice quote from Swarmwise Asking permission is asking somebody else to take accountability for your decision. So if you ask permission to someone and they say no, they might just be hedging their bets in case it goes horribly wrong and then they say that you said that they could do it. So structurally as an organization, if you're internalizing asking forgiveness rather than permission, it's now up to you to use your prefrontal cortex to determine whether or not you want to do something and then be accountable for it yourself. It's kind of a crazy idea in a way because it seems really chaotic, but also at the same time, really true. Asking permission is asking somebody else to take accountability for your decision. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Because I can totally see this sort of like agreeable personality being like, well, I don't want to do this thing that might affect everyone in some way without clearing it with all of them first. Like not just because I'm afraid to be accountable for what I've done, but because I think it's the right thing to do to check in with everyone first. I can see how that would be paralyzing, but I can also see why people think that's the way everything should always be done. Here's one key insight from Mm. the book. He describes it as a key insight. We arrive at the key insight, he says. The process of voting creates losers. If 51% of the swarm can exercise authority over 49% of the swarm, Mm. 49% of the swarm just became a loser. Yeah. This is something David Graeber talks about in his book, Democracy Project as well, which is also tackling some of these related issues around democracy. But the process of voting creates losers, and people who become losers aren't happy. No one likes being a loser. So if you institutionalize voting as the be-all, end-all within an organization, you're structurally creating losers, which is demoralizing your base of people that you need to do things. A good activist is productive, enthusiastic, and happy. There's a definite, I guess, tension here between... A a lot of this advice seems designed to stop paralysis to get things moving to encourage people yeah. to do stuff because mm-hmm. get shit done yeah like this may, is maybe, the cult of get shit done that i'm reading right, right. so like maybe book of. in a different type of organization where the main problem is that too many chaotic things are being done there would be a little like we need to have a little bit less of a ask for forgiveness culture like but for the most part in most organizations that's not the issue the issue isn't that too many people are taking on too much responsibility and doing too many things in a chaotic way that's conflicting with each other the issue is that people are getting caught up on side conversations or asking too much permission or mm-hmm. not deciding anything and just nothing's happening yeah that's happening. my experience in organizations yeah 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 by far And now it's time for the wrong boys cooktastic cookatorium cook show where we cook food. And what we're cooking up today is some organizing. Now, I have to admit, I haven't cooked up a lot of organizing in my life, but I do have a friend. His name's Sean, and he 
passed on a secret tip to me. He said that some of the best organizing he's ever cooked up in his life just took two very simple ingredients. And I said, what? Two ingredients for amazing organizing? And Sean said, yes. Just mix them together in a bowl, bake, and out pop some of the most succulent organizing you've ever seen. And I said, what are these two ingredients? And Sean said that ingredient number one is doing stuff. And the second ingredient is asking other people to do stuff. Because often they want to, but they just need that little bit of encouragement. He said, you combine those two ingredients, and before you know it, you're an organizer. And I said, holy cow, that's so easy, I might even be able to do it. I guess I should be demonstrating it on the cooking show. This is a cooking show. You show people what you're cooking, but I don't really know how to do that in this context. So yeah, I guess this is a weird episode of the cooking show, but that's okay because it's over. And now we're going back to the main show that the cooking show was inside of. Back to the show. Hey, son, how are you doing today? Good. How's your creative writing going? That, that story really seemed like it was going on an interesting sort of path last time I read it and gave you constructive feedback. Uh, it's going good. I took your advice and now the duck lives at the end. Oh, that's wonderful. And well, I actually made it so that he becomes a princess. Wow. Oh, that's really creative. I oh, love thank that. Thank you. How about you? How's your day been doing? Oh, it's it's been great. It's wonderful. I just got home from the factory where me and some of the other working class Joes, we were actually sort of, if you can keep a secret. I can keep a secret. We're organizing a union. I'm really excited. Organizing a union? Dad, what does that mean? Oh, what? Have I not? You don't know what organizing is. Oh my God, this is my favorite thing to explain. Son, you're making daddy's day. Oh, good. Yay. Oh my God. Stop me if daddy's being a loser, but I just love this stuff. There's nothing wrong with being a loser sometimes, son. It's it's all good fun. It's all good fun oh. to say about yourself. It's called self-deprecating humor. Mm. And it's something that compared to your dad, not a lot of people can do it quite as well. Is this how you do it? Oh no, son. That was self-aggrandization. Oh. One of the other things I specialize in. Oh, okay. Oh, we'll get into that sometime. But first, organizing. Organizing is basically just like an attitude. It's an attitude towards the world that's rooted in a response to injustice and that is a motivation to action. And it's basically doing tactical communications to serve an end. You're forging relationships with individuals towards shared ends. You're trying to speak to as many people as possible who have the power to make the changes involved. And you're focusing on a short-term achievable goal and leveraging all of your power towards that individual thing all at once. So like, for example, in my workplace right now, we're all organizing to get a double in our vacation time, which I think will really be great in the summertime when you're off school. I oh, can take yeah. you to parks more often. We'll have more days off? Yeah, we can Hang spend some me? quality time together as you grow up. That's great. So you identified that you didn't have enough vacation days to have fun times with me in the summer. Mm -hmm. And you said, that's a problem. Yes. And then you said, and let me around. get together with all the other people. Yeah, exactly. And, and, we I looked, can... and we, Oh, we have some common grievances with yeah. our employer. Cool. There are people who have power over us that we want concessions from that we couldn't ask individually for. But if we leverage our power together, right. we can actually do it. Kind of like how when we had the school play and we went to hang up posters in groups so that one person could hold it and the other person would staple because we couldn't do it by ourselves. We needed to work together. 
Yeah, that's right. That poster would be utterly crooked by ourselves. But together, and this is the power of a union, son, you can hang up any poster straight anytime you want. It's incredible. So we're going to get safer work conditions. We're going to get higher wages. I'm going to get more vacation time, shorter hours, more time to spend with my son, who I'm so proud of. And I can have these deep conversations with, even though you're only seven years old. Oh, stop it, Dad. I'm not that smart. I'm one of the dumbest kids in class. Wow, if that's true, I mean, you're brilliant. And if they're all as brilliant as you and more so... There's actually hope. This next generation of kids is going to friggin' save us. They understand organizing, and they're good at memes. You know what? That just gave me an idea for how to end my story. Can I go, Dad? I think the duck princess has some organizing to do. Oh, that's what I like to hear, son. I'm really proud to hear about the story as it develops and makes me proud as a dad. But you can do no wrong in my eyes, son. You're my shining star. Even if I killed a guy? Oh, don't test me, but yes. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'll talk to you later, Dad. It seems like also this might be a problem because leftist organizations often have democratic ideals and eschew hierarchy. And hierarchy in this instance is a very effective way of cutting through all of this stuff. Like the person in charge can just say, this is what color the pamphlet's going to be. Or the person in charge can just say, Sean decides what color the pamphlet is. Let's move on. Again, just drawing on my experience of the one effective series of meetings that I've ever been in being that way because of a sort of hierarchical structure in which two people in this case basically made the decisions and everybody else either followed along or didn't. You know, like having that trump card of what I say goes does seem like an effective way of getting around this. And so organizations that are that are attempting to operate without that type of strict hierarchy are going to be more prone to these kinds of problems. So this is the exact distinction and it's an important distinction between hierarchy and leadership. So leadership is something that can happen in the world. People have <laughs> followers, people follow each other. That's mm. There's no reason to think that that is wrong. Mm. That's not what we're criticizing when we criticize hierarchy uh, from like an anarchist perspective. Hierarchy to Murray Bookchin and social ecologists is specifically command and control hierarchy. It's the ability to tell other people what to do and have them obey under the threat of either deprivation, force, etc. Um, yeah, expulsion. Yeah, or expulsion in this case. It's like leadership is actually pretty dope when it's working well. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's someone who says, hey, listen, the pamphlet should be blue. And everyone listens, not because there's a threat of expulsion, but everyone listens because they're like, oh, that guy knows pamphlets very well. And we have a culture of respecting people's expertise and work. Rather than saying no one's a leader, like sort of the folk politics anarchist thing is like, Mm. we have no leaders. Instead, it's like the inversion of that to say we're all leaders here and like everyone's invited to lead on the things that they feel competent to lead on. And then what determines whether or not their actions are implemented is the degree that people choose to follow them within the confines of the organization. Okay, right. So, yeah, so it comes back to the culture of the organization and needs to be kind of fine-tuned in the right way to make this kind of stuff work. Like, on that meta level, the thing you just described has to be the way people are operating. Like, yeah. you're all invited to lead, and... You well, know, yeah, you the, need training yeah. to do anything. There needs to be an orientation for... You can't just have... And I think this is another thing that we make the mistake on the left of doing, is having a meeting where someone shows up, and by showing up, they have a vote. 
which is wild, really, if you think about it. <laughs> Who is this person? And I mean, no offense to them, but have they even done orientation? And yeah. what orientation is, refers to is pointing in a specific direction. And all organizations need to point in a specific direction. Otherwise, they'll just never function. It's just if and it, this is a point that he makes in Swarmwise a couple times, which is that an organization that is allowed to argue over its own purpose will cease to exist. Right, right. Well, because arguing about a purpose is is the same thing as not having a purpose. This is like a very basic structure of reality thing. You have to set your eyes on a goal in order to do anything, in order to know which direction to take the next steps. So if the organization doesn't have its eyes set on a goal, of course it doesn't know what the next steps are supposed to be. Yeah, organizations have a purpose. That's why you joined it. It's because you agreed with the purpose. So if you don't agree with the purpose, get the fuck out because our purpose is set. We're yeah, doing it. If you don't have a purpose, you don't. There's no organization. There's or if no... you allow the planned meeting to be disrupted by an individual being like, I don't know, should we be organizing against homelessness? <laughs> or should we pick? Is there something else that's more important? It's like, oh, that's actually an interesting question. Is there anything in the world that's more important than organizing homelessness? Uh, organizing yeah, against let's, homelessness? Let's spend well, a whole bunch of time talking about this. Well, no, I mean, no, there isn't. If we yes, get to the, is. I mean, we could get to the bottom of it. Maybe there, there probably is something, but also homelessness is up there. And uh, how much time do you want to give that discussion? And how much time would you give that discussion <laughs> if it came up? And what side would you be on? How would you frame your argument? And like, that's, it's such a hard thing to deal with when this stuff happens mm-hmm. and not yeah. play into it. Uh, one of the things that I like about Swarmwise, the book, is that it can be a little bit polemical sometimes or like be low-key throwing shade when it's like describing what people do that's bad. It's just very blunt about it. Mm-hmm. This this segment is like that. Dealing with attention junkies. As the swarm has its initial success, a very small number of people will strive to join, not because they sympathize with the goals, but because they crave and demand attention for themselves. And the visibility of the swarm seems to be able to provide this for them. Because the swarm is open by design, you can't and should not try to keep them out, but you can deny them the space and spotlights that they crave. One telltale sign these people will demand attention from you personally rather than trying to build the swarm. You also notice that they think very much in terms of rank and hierarchy, whereas other people will think in terms of getting stuff done and changing the world. The mentioning of rank and hierarchy there at the end makes the types of people he's describing sound like not just attention junkies, but kind of like glory junkies or people who are want status and like that's why they're demanding attention like they're looking in the group for status yeah well and i mean what would mr rogers say about these poor souls because most of these people they're not going to be like malicious or anything like Mm -hmm. that they're just yeah have a way of interacting with the organization that might be harmful to the long-term goals um, or to themselves or focusing on the wrong things so it's just a matter of ideally giving them a space to find a type of glory that should be something that's serving the goal that yeah like attempting to give them something to achieve and then when they achieve it and get glory for it or get you know praise for doing a job well done then that's that's what everyone wants is to do a thing good and get recognized for it yeah so like an organization might hand out pamphlets and give this person the potential glory of giving out the most or something like that. It's actually something he mentioned in another part of the book is that gamifying things is a good way to motivate action. Although if I recall correctly, he says that you shouldn't gamify things to reward individuals, but always in groups. It's like encourage teamwork and thinking in terms of 
we rather than I. Leaders always say we. You never say I. You always say we. We're doing this. We decided this. We, mm. we, 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 we. It's important. And it, the little choices we make in language make profound differences, I think. And when we say I, we can send the wrong impression that it's about individuals and not about the goal. The other thing I wanted to say about leadership is that, at least in Falkvinier's conception, he calls for an explicit leader whose basic job is to be a mixture between a cheerleader, someone who keeps everyone oriented, and someone who occasionally will make sort of tiebreaker decisions. So they're a leader, but it's different from a command and control hierarchy in that they don't have the power to unilaterally make any decisions and everyone else is subordinate to them and has to follow their whims. But the leader can act as a tiebreaker based primarily on having a positive reputation with people around right so like ideally you want to be designing win-win situations rather than we're all going to do the thing that team b wanted to do because i think that's better or because that's how the vote was decided not creating losers at least like when you can avoid it. Yeah. And in some cases, like when you're talking about how the money of the organization is spent to it become, it's like zero sum. Yeah. And then you get into the question of, well, who's in charge of money and should the people who fundraise be in charge of money because they're the ones generating the money. But that becomes something really sort of toxic also because certain people are very good fundraisers and they shouldn't be given the sole right to determine the financial direction of an organization based mm -hmm. on that. Yeah, that's a uh, purse strings is a big one. Yeah, yeah, so this is it's something that needs to be worked out and thought about. But the question is, what creates losers and what doesn't? Because I'm saying this as someone who's quite competent at fundraising and I, I feel confident that within an organization I could fundraise enough to cover my own objectives. And I mean, that's a good thing. It would incentivize me to go out and do it and get mm. it done. And mm -hmm. But also, I think there's an incredible amount of wisdom distributed within Swarm intelligence. And when you create these single points of authority and sort of in order to spend money, you have to somehow create money for the organization. But then again, it's like the other option is like, so you have what a general vote on everyone in the organization, how every dollar is spent, or you make a subcommittee of people who have the specialization of spending money and priorities. Yeah, I don't know. You could be like, if you fundraise, some percentage of it has to go to a pile. Yeah, that sounds good. Like if you fundraise, you keep 25%, which the fundraiser themselves is allowed to decide what sub-project that's spent on in service of the goal. Right. And then the 75% goes to the general funds, which is voted on within these democratic, but also competent buy-in structural organizations. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by Real Leadership. <laughs> oh, man. Real Leadership. Where have you been all my life? You know... The thing about real leadership that I love the most is that it doesn't force compliance to the leader's whims. True leadership requires people to follow voluntarily of their own autonomy because they share the leader's vision and they believe in the leader's capacity to help facilitate the bringing about of that vision. Hierarchies based on threats and punishment to ensure compliance have nothing actually to do with leadership and everything to do with tyranny. 
a tyrannical structure of imposition from the top down. That's bad. That's not the sponsor of today's episode of Seriously Wrong. The sponsor of today's episode of Seriously Wrong is real leadership. It's something that we can all do. And if you think that doesn't make sense because some people have to be followers in order for there to be leaders, please remember that the most effective leaders all also know when to be followers. That's just part of the game. And keeping that in mind, now we go, <laughs> you guessed it, up to our old same old tricks again. It's go- we're going back to the show. We're going, I'll stop. Back to the show. So here's a perspective from Swarm Wives. Great book. Great, great book. Not perfect book. Never said it was perfect. Don't at me. Falk Vigny says that he advocates the organization structurally be made up of volunteers of multiple levels of intensity. So there's sort of three levels. There's scaffolding. That's people who bottom line the events, orient people, do micro trainings that people can turn to to ask for information. Like people who are on the information hierarchy get there by doing a lot of work to make it happen, trusted members of the community. Yeah, like the core team and the core team as decided by who's put in the most work and effort mm-hmm. into And who's just actively still participating and yeah. doing this. And so they're obviously going to serve a certain function in the organization and they're really valuable and they need to be honored for their time and energy needs to be respected. And mm-hmm. those are the types of people that you might pay first if you were able to like fundraise enough to have staff in an organization. And then he talks about this larger group of people that's like the membership. They drive decisions. They drive a lot of the activism that happens. They're the source of ideas and priorities. This sort of like bubbling group that is all oriented towards one thing and whether that's ending homelessness or whatever. Mm. Um, In the case of the Pirate Party, it's oriented towards abolishing intellectual property as we know it and securing net neutrality and allowing for the free transfer of information and having a global library where everyone can take out any book they want. Right. So that orientation is something that is handled by the leader or leadership and the scaffolding. And then the membership has the ability to act freely within. And he proposes the three pirate rule. Apparently they did this in the Swedish pirate party, which Mm -hmm. is that any decision, if three people agree on it, it passes the sanity check. The only thing is that their decision can only affect them. It can't affect anyone else's behavior. Three people can't come together and say, we're all going to wear funny hats from now on. They They can can come come together and say, we're making a funny hat and we're going to wear it and everyone's invited to join us. Right, right, right. That's <laughs> it's a key distinction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then he also argues there's another group of people, which is members of the public who want to help, but they don't want to join. They don't want to be brought through the sort of, this is something we do on the left as well. We get a little obsessed sometimes with the orientation ritual, that in order to be a comrade, in order to be a part of my team, well, I need to see you become an anarchist. I need to see well, okay, you become... Okay, so I mean, just a minute ago, you were saying how, oh, like, have you even gone through the orientation? Why are we <laughs> listening to you? So this is what these levels are meant to kind of, like, you don't have to put everyone through the orientation. If someone just wants to help, if you're like, are you willing to hand out flyers? Are you willing to yes, exactly. do something specific, like very specific? If you're willing to help with that awesome show up here at this time, we're counting on you. Yeah, but you if don't you have want, to go through orientation for but that. It, but, but if, if you, you want, want to be a driver of an yeah, organization, maker, if you want yeah. to be one of the leaders that's part of the pool of leaders making decisions, then yeah, you have to meet some basic criteria, have some sort of buy-in. We don't want to have backseat drivers. And backseat drivers, my God, all of our dear activist listeners out there listening to this, backseat driver, I'm just going to say it a few more times, backseat driver, backseat driver, backseat driver. 
So you know what I'm going to do, Aaron? I'm going to slap you with another sick quote from Swarmwise. Do mm, you have to slap? Can you tickle me maybe? I'll it? tickle you with this. Okay, thank you. I meant more like slap it down on the table than like slap you. Oh, oh okay. Like slap I you right. with. I guess that's not the way people talk. My yeah. bad. <laughs> quote, enforce the principle of if you see something you don't like, contribute with something you do like. Backseat driver culture is a culture where those who take initiatives and risks are punished for it. This this shit, when I was in the pirate party, oh man, you know, I'm working on a project, I'm making a pamphlet, and then someone's like, this pamphlet's all wrong. It should be like this. And it's like, oh, can you make a pamphlet? And it's like, no, you implement my ideas. And it's like, well, this was a very antisocial interaction. I mean, if you gave me the friendly feedback, I'd certainly consider it. But ultimately, I'm designing this pamphlet, and I think some of the editorial decisions will fall on me because I'm putting my time and effort into it. And you're free to do that yourself. Commission your own pamphlet, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, like if you think someone else is putting the focus in the wrong place or doing something in a way that's less effective than it could be, if you think your ideas would make a better pamphlet... Try it out your way. If you can't make a pamphlet, find someone to help you make a pamphlet, make a pamphlet. Then we have two pamphlets. Do the thing instead of telling other people not to do their thing. Yeah. And and if you're like at a meeting and everyone's doing all this stuff and you're like, someone needs to do this. You're the most obnoxious person (laughs) on the planet because know what? Everyone at the meeting but you is doing stuff. They all like have the mud on their hands from putting the bricks on the house. What if you're legitimately like someone who is doing three other things already and you have another great idea for something that could be done? I guess you wouldn't say someone should do this. You might say, hey, I have this idea. I don't know if I have the time to work on it. If anyone else feels inspired, that would be great. Maybe if not, I'll get to it later or I don't know, something like that. Yes. I'm trying to think of I like mean, a non-obnoxious way to <laughs> To pitch introduce. an idea yeah, that you can't ideas. do yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there absolutely has to be room for that. Um, but, yeah. but there's a certain sort of entitled disposition where you implicitly criticize the people who yeah. are putting in the most volunteer hours. And I wish I could say it was something rare. It's actually something I've literally seen in every group I've ever been a part of as long as I've ever been part of any group. Yeah, I've never even thought of myself as anyone who's participated in political organizing, but I've been like marginally involved with a few political groups. And I'm like so familiar with exactly what you're talking about. Like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, totally. Like more than once. (laughs) And I think it comes from a naive place. And I think it comes from some people also not understanding some organizing basics. And this comes out of the problem of when you have democratic decision-making out in public without an orientation. Yeah, this is interesting because this is another, like, the organization that I was a part of that was pretty effective, was that when new people showed up, they didn't come to the core meetings right away. It was like, hey, you know, we do these activism events regularly, show up at the events, hang out, talk to people, make yourself useful. Just if you want to help, here's how you help. Immediately, like there was a thing to give people to do. Come to these events, help us out. And people who showed up a bunch of times and were showing themselves to be committed, mm-hmm. then would get invites to the core meeting. And, you know, in that time, you've kind of sussed out whether or not they agree with the direction, the way things are being done. And I think structurally, that's a good mode. Yeah. If you want to be an organizer, here's a big, big tip. When people show up to volunteer, you always say yes. 
And a good organization is prepared with enough things to do that anyone who shows up is has something important to do right away. So that's a high bar. And if you fall short of that, it's not a sign that you're failing. But it's what you aspire to. Mm-hmm. Is that if someone walks through the door... And they're on crutches and say most people are walking around handing out pamphlets and that's the organizational thing happening. Someone comes into that meeting, says, hey, I want to help, but I'm on crutches. I can't walk around. Then a really good organization, a really sharp organization is going to have something important that they can do right away. They can get their hands on right away. Um, Like that same meeting, like actually right now you could come over to this computer and help us on our project to edit Wikipedia articles related to our our project to orient the public. Public more towards what we think is the core values of our thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like this is something that Falk Vigne mentions is onboarding people quickly when someone shows up, giving them something to do is part of how we keep them around. Really, really sort of a key point because, okay, and this is the thing. Organizing is for everyone and politics is for everyone. A successful organization is for everyone. It's got an open door and it's got everyone in mind. And we can sometimes make the mistake of being too exclusive. So like what you were describing before, Aaron, as far as like the process of like what new people do versus what longtime sort of committed Mm -hmm. people do. I think that's like, if done correctly, an intelligent structural way to keep an organization oriented correctly towards its goal. Mm -hmm. But what's key about that is when someone shows up, it's not like, oh, we're just this inner circle. Like, you can have no part of this. Right, right, It's like when someone shows up, it's like, yeah, hit the streets with us. We're doing this this day. We'll see you there. You know, like that's that's good-ass organizing. Yeah, it's true. We weren't like, okay, so there are secret meetings that you're not invited to for just the (laughs) cool people. No, that, that wasn't mentioned. It was just like, this is what we do. We do it this often. Come here and participate with us. All right, welcome to the organizing class for extra gifted organizing students. Hey, Teach. I'm here. Excited to learn. I'm excited to have you here. It's one of the things I like to do when I'm teaching is do a little impression of Quagmire from Family Guy. I find it just really spruces up the lesson. Sure, yeah, it's a bit. Okay, yeah, sure. What? Sweet, yeah. giggity, giggity. That's <laughs> pretty good, right? Uh, yeah. I love TV's Family Guy. Yeah, moving along. So today we're going to be learning about a shorthand of the call to action. It's called a hui. A-H-U-Y. A hui. It doesn't roll off the tongue, but in yeah. writing it looks good. Okay. So yeah, I'm just going to A-H-U-Y. Ahui. Ahui. Yeah, see, see, in writing it makes sense. Yeah. So A stands for anger, the first step. There's injustice. Right. There's something that needs to be fixed, you know? There's something... Yeah, if you want to call people to action, what's the problem that they want to fix? Exactly. And then so H, it's hope. This oh, can be fixed. Right. So first, essential next step makes you're, sense. You're agitating them, but then there's a relief of that tension, in that you're saying there's a path out of this injustice, out of this horror. Mm-hmm. I feel like the relief nightmare. should maybe be conditional, though, on action or on a time frame. That's where you're exactly right, because when you mention time frame, the U stands for urgency. So right. change is possible, but it has to happen now. We have to act now. We can't wait any longer. And then why is you, specifically you have to act. So this is the way of 
anger, hope, urgency, you. By moving through these steps, we're able to take someone from an observer status and move them to an actor status because there's an injustice. There's a hope to fix that injustice, but it needs to be acted on right now. It needs to be acted on right now by you. And so this works for motivating people to take action of all sorts of kinds. It's a decent fundraising pitch. It's a decent volunteer pitch. If you stick with a hui, you're good to go. That's what I always tell my students. Well, I feel privileged to be part of that group because I feel like I learned a lot from this acronym. Well, I'm happy to share an acronym with an advanced student such as yourself. Oh, thank you. It means a lot to me. I see you as sort of like a natural leader with the other students. So feel free to dispense this information in lifting other people up to people that you think are sort of themselves leaders. So I'm going to put that on you now, and that's organizing also. Wow, teaching through example. You're such a great teacher. Thank you. Do you mind if I use the chalk to draw a picture of myself? Oh, I didn't know you were an artist. Yeah, oh, no, I'm actually definitely. quite talented as an artist as well, in addition to teaching about this stuff. No, I'd love to see your art. Yeah, <laughs> so who's, whose nose is that? Do you recognize that nose? Not yet. I don't know. Wait, Who not is yet? it? What do you mean? That's, you don't recognize? Okay, well, what about this brow ridge? Oh, it, getting more familiar. What do you getting mean? Getting more familiar. Isn't that enough? I mean, yeah, no, I get it's you. Sorry, I was just trying to play along. Well, with, like to okay. coax yeah. you into drawing the whole. Sorry, I'm really confident about my knowledge about organizing, but I'm really self-conscious about my art. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize. That's okay. I should have let you know, and it's good that we covered this. But yeah, check this chin out. That's your chin. Wow, looks great. Thank you for saying that. You're really supportive. I appreciate that. That is true too. It does. It looks like your chin. Little Jeffrey Thompson went on to organize the entire student body to demand no more homework. The science actually so shows that homework is horrible for children. And longer recess, which had structured activities in it and took up a larger portion of the day. Socialization for children. A lot of reason to think that would be a good idea. And they also won learning foreign languages at a young age, which is a really good idea. And they fought for it and they won. And uh, the teacher actually became a famous artist. He really had a skill for it with the chalk. The end. Okay, I have a question for you. Because the reason that I say that that organization operated in a kind of authoritarian way was that people who were allowed into the core group, and some of this stuff happened before I showed up, but, you know, I ended up getting the stories. The core group would kind of chug along for a while, and then there would be a conflict, ideas or personalities about a direction or about a certain thing that would come up. I know this happened at least once and kind of another time. The, the group kind of turned into these two factions, and one faction just expelled the other one and said we're the group we get to keep the name and the thing and we're doing it and the question i wanted to ask you was like what about when there just is these big disagreements so there's already two entrenched camps or there's these personality clashes between groups of leadership that's a huge challenge part of it is, is i think that people's political struggles throughout history have long baked in habits that go far beyond our personal experiences as far as like exactly what the sources of these weird interpersonal and sectarian conflicts exist within organizations. Mm -hmm. There's almost like sort of an institutional trauma that's yeah, passed down right, people who right, try right. to change the world. But 
So here's sort of a perspective from Swarm Wives on that, applying what I know from that mode of thinking, which is, okay, so this group that you're a part of, it's oriented on something, let's say something fun that we like. The Free surfboards? (laughs) (laughs) Too fun? No, it's not fun enough. It's the doubling the amount of paid holidays movement. Okay. And it's the double paid holidays coalition, Mm -hmm. DPHC. DPHC is a wonderful organization that's doing a lot of great work, but some of the leadership has started to have some interpersonal tension. And then the version of the story they're telling the people that follow them in the organization is polarizing them as they're getting like two different versions of the conflict. (laughs) So this is the ideal scenario is that you have leadership or a leader that is above this conflict this person who's a facilitator and cheerleader for the organization would be like, okay, what's fundamental to this disagreement? And is this an intractable difference about the outcome that we want? And if it is, is it possible to patch that? But basically, the big question is, can our organization start to function as two organizations that work together in complementary ways and sharing resources, but with two distinct pods? Right. Because in the swarm model, pods split off all the time. They break up and come together, groups of three or more. Right. He has recommendations for on like different sizes. There's some sort of like pop science behind why they should be these different sizes that I'm not 100% convinced on. But his one that he mentions, which is that a conversation of seven people or more breaks into two conversations or becomes like an awkward, long waiting to speak sort of like uncomfortable thing. Yeah. I think that's true. Or certain people just, it's a conversation between four people that 16 people are listening to. Yeah, that's so accurate. That that gave me small trauma flashback. Um, You just gave me small trauma. Sorry. Uh, Small trauma flashback. When you're hanging out with your bro and then suddenly small trauma. Yikes. So in the swarm model, there's always the assumption that people who don't want to work together and don't like each other can still work towards the same ends, Hmm. but just like not work with each other directly unless they have to. And then if they do have to, you have someone who's there to mediate. And this is some basic stuff. But I mean, the theory is basic. The application is complicated, but I think it just makes perfect sense. It's just like very straightforward. Yeah, no, that does make a lot of sense. And again, if I think about the organization I was a part of, there's one person who I could have seen being a more neutral, central leader type person could definitely have made the organization not lose three people who, for whatever other faults they had, did show up and did commit energy and effort into achieving things. Yeah. I mean, and that sort of like zero sum control of the organization voting is very, when you start thinking about in terms of the ability to pot off or like, my faction wants to make a pamphlet. Oh, my faction wants to make a video. Well, one of our factions has to leave. <laughs> it's like, uh, what? Right, right, um, right. It's like, we think we should talk about doubling vacation time by emphasizing uh, how much more productive people can be at their jobs when they're back at it. We think we should emphasize how fun it is to be on vacation. And it's just like, they can't both be on the front page of the pamphlet or the first line of the paragraph or whatever the minute version of the larger dispute that is happening this week. The reason that people are concerned with this sort of hierarchical mode of message control and 
that you're describing there mm. or like saying we can only work on a pamphlet or a video. We can't split off into two groups and do both because I want to have my grubby little fingers over everything and things can only be released on behalf of the organization if I personally oversaw it because I am... Like I, if I, I don't agree, I'm going to make everyone so miserable that this thing's not getting released. Oh God, <laughs> it's so true. Um, so, but message... Christ. Um, <laughs> so here's something bold and provocative that mm. he says in Swarmwise that connects to this. He advises, control the vision, but don't control the message. People are better marketers towards their own friends than you would ever be towards their friends. You need to release the control of your brand and its messages. You need to delegate authority to the point where anybody can make almost any decision for the entire organization. You need to accept and embrace that people in the organization will do exactly as they please. And the only way to lead is to inspire them to want to go where you want the organization to go. So he argues for a decentralization where people communicate the overall arcing vision. So if you want to end homelessness, ending homelessness is the vision, but you don't make everyone all always say specifically some specific combination of words. Right. Yeah. You can get your message out in more different ways. Yeah. So it's not like the message box of typical politics of like, we always repeat these points over and over again. And like, if we're asked a direct question, we'll try to pivot to them and something like right, that. Right, 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 right. But yeah, it's sort of an interesting idea I just wanted to mention is just the idea that your biggest marketer, your biggest advertising is conversations between friends where people are tailoring your message to the, the context. And this sort of idea that within institutional organizing or like bureaucratic or hierarchical organizing, there's this assumption that's a bad thing, whereas he says that it's a good thing. And should be encouraged. Something key to understand about that, which is I can't make a decision about what hat you wear. I can make a decision on behalf of the organization that we now have a double vacation time silly hat. And I strongly encourage and I will be myself wearing the silly hat anytime I want to advocate for double vacation. Um, <laughs> no, okay, but like silly hats, okay. But what about a situation where, you know, three new people who have joined, they're all friends with each other. They have come from the same perspective and they love the idea of reducing vacation time. But th their tactic isn't silly hats or something relatively innocuous. It's something like a pamphlet that is using the name of the organization and connecting doubling paid vacation days to chemtrails. And like, it's absurd. I know it's absurd, but yeah. they have taken the time and written the essays and they have the argument down for why chemtrails are what are causing too low vacation hours. And they're taking the initiative themselves, making decisions on behalf of the organization and just making it look mm -hmm. foolish. The leader calls a meeting with them. She kicks them out of the organization and she destroys their pamphlets. <laughs> so sometimes you do expel people. Yeah, well, I'm half kidding when I say that because yeah. I think really the bulk of the argument here is actually that will never happen. Something like that won't pass the sanity check. You're not going to find three people who'll do it. And the types of people who have those types of like bonkers ideas and like bad capacity for reading how they'll be interpreted are very unlikely to be able to follow through on a project in any significant way. So them floundering and failing to produce a pamphlet rarely harms the organization. 
in the event that they are successful in releasing a pamphlet. Beautiful pamphlet. And yeah, it's like really well designed. It's like looks better. <laughs> Way than, better than all the other pamphlets from the organization. There's if that more was of the them. case, okay, then yeah, this is like what the leader has to do. What she has to do is call a meeting with them and compliment the incredible design on the pamphlets. Mm-hmm. Who designed? Oh, is you. And you really care about chemtrails, don't you? Like, yeah, yes, I do. Well, you're an incredible graphic designer, but also really be careful to paint the target red and say, we're making pamphlets. Say it over and over again. We're making pamphlets about vacation time. And they'd be like, what do you mean? Of course it's about vacation. That's what the whole pamphlet's about. The subsections on chemtrails just build towards the argument here. And I know I'm kind of boxing you in and yeah. getting around your what you're trying to argue, but like there's oh, like... Uh, yeah. yeah, so and I'm not here to say... I've got a complete theory of what to do in all circumstances. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure, sure. You're dealing with human beings and all these situations are going to be unique. And yeah. But generally speaking, you're not going to be faced with this circumstance right, because right, there right. is a correlation between organizers who follow through on what they want to do and people who understand how organizing works. Yeah. If someone's not oriented with the organization, there should be a process for having them no longer right. be welcome. Yeah, and part of the organization's orientation can be what it's not focused on. Uh, yeah, totally. Well, you might also have in the sort of leadership team, there's like the communications leader mm-hmm. who, although people are free to pursue their own projects, there's some degree of oversight. Like under traditional organizational structure, every individual has certain things that they're allowed to do and certain things they're supposed to do. It's framed in terms of what's allowed and what's yeah. forced. Yeah, right. Whereas like within a swarm model, both of those things are present in the sense that there is a spectrum of what's allowed. But you're free to do any part of it at any time at your own sort of like leisure and take the commitment that you want. And it's just like you you follow up on your own commitments to do things and lead by example and do the thing that works. <laughs> and welcome everyone back to Aaron. The uh, daytime talk show starring me, Aaron Moritz, where I talk to interesting people like our guest today, Sean Villiers, here to teach us a new method of organizing. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sean. Well, thank you for having me on. I I have to say, honestly, I'm a big, big fan. I watch your show every day, so it's a, <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure you. to be here. Oh, I do have to tape it, though. It's a daytime show, so I yeah, to watch no, it after Yeah, I do work. know what time it's on. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I know uh, what time it's on, too, because I yeah. have to friggin' tape it. Got a TiVo? It's pretty easy with oh, a TiVo. Yeah, let me get a TiVo for you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck, why not? Fuck you, Aaron. I, uh, I don't need to get a TiVo. Ooh. Oh, just kidding, of course. Just kidding. <laughs> just, uh, it's all jokes. We're friends here. There's no nothing going on. <laughs> we always have such a good witty banter hilarious despite obviously your shortcomings just kidding it's not how i would frame it (laughs) (laughs) well i wouldn't trust you to frame a a painting of a boat all right well why don't you tell us a little bit about this new organizing method that you've so glad you asked yeah so there's a new organizing method it's something i've pioneered and Mm. it's something that's really blowing up right now big fan of pioneers Yes, yeah, I agree. No, I'm just saying I am. I'm a big fan of Pioneers. Go on. Yeah, I'm saying yes, you are. I agree. Well, great. Yeah, perfect. perfect. So there's two basic points to this organizing method. The first point is vote with your time and energy. Vote with your time and energy. Simple and it works. Wow, that sounds really smart. But let me ask you this. What's the difference between that and 
a meaningless platitude. I'm just, <laughs> just, just kidding, kidding. Just kidding. That was one of uh, your funnier ones, Aaron, but <laughs> because you. of how inaccurate it is, because it's more than a meaningless platitude. It actually is a really profound organizational idea that if you internalize to sort of see, maybe then your head will be able to wrap around it. I understand it's small head, big idea. Just kidding. <laughs> I was just kidding. The whole. I don't even think most platitudes are meaningless. Things become platitudes because they're generally good advice. So meaningful. So yeah, vote with your time and energy. You know, getting shit done is fundamental to organizing. And the second part is equally important, but it's different. And it's don't shit on each other. Now, is that meant literally? Because if it is, I have to agree. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't <laughs> shit on anyone and I don't want anyone shitting on me. Well, I would say literally and figuratively, primarily figuratively, but also literally would be a good basic. It's not yeah, so much well, an organizing principle, but it's more of like a daily life sort of rule of Yeah, unless they society. ask you to. And then even then you say no. Unless you want to. Sure, yeah. I I don't mean guess. to say that's impossible. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Sorry, I'm just externalizing my own anxieties around fecal matter on your show. <laughs> just kidding. It is really dirty and uh, full of bacteria and that's disgusting, For frankly. most people, they find it really repulsive and that's yeah. for sort of an evolutionary. Yes. But, yeah. And even the people who like it find it disgusting. It's just part of their game. But figuratively, figuratively. Figuratively, yeah, don't shit on each other. Don't ruin each other's efforts. Don't take each other down. So, for example, shitting on someone might look like me saying this new method of organizing isn't new at all. It's just two easy, basic ideas that many people have known for a long time. And you are basically a hack who just plagiarized these ideas and nobody should care what you say or think. That would be kind of shitting on you. Yeah, like, yeah just that kidding. Would be. That's all kidding. But Yeah, of course, know. of course. And I didn't take that personally because I know that Although I'm inspired by the history of human ideas, I can quite confidently say that I built these sentences with an intention in mind to succinctly summarize an idea that I feel is important. And I'm comfortable conceding the vast majority of the cultural and creative effort of human society to other people. But this particular set of words I'll take credit for. But I wouldn't expect you to understand that. You can barely host the show. Just kidding. No, you better be kidding. Because uh, <laughs> I'm a damn good host, if I do say so myself. Would a good host have to say that? Just kidding. Would a bad host be this confident in themselves saying it? Obviously not. Not kidding about that. <laughs> Clearly, you're not kidding. Clearly, yeah, because it's a smart thing to say. So that was a new organizing method by Sean. And uh, what that it was something, anyway. So we're going to go to break, and when we come back... Sean's going to draw a picture of himself on the chalkboard for all of us. And he really needs us to affirm that he's doing well because he's kind of sensitive about it. Just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, don't. Yeah. Just, okay. Just kidding. Okay. Just good. kidding. You hack. Just kidding. I'm imagining that some people listening to this are interested in this topic because they want to participate in activism, in actually doing things. And in fact, they're already involved in organizations that have all these problems. And like all these things that you're saying sound nice, sound even like they would work, but there's already people arguing about the bylaws. There's already, we've been talking about how these principles would work if they're in action. How do you begin to shift an organization closer to these principles? Challenging question, but something comes to mind. Orientation. Part of the problem is there hasn't been orientation. Or there's technically already an orientation and it's about the most important bylaws and Yeah, <laughs> but the people who are willing to sit through those meetings are the people who are still around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're pretty orientated. So this is just one way to do it, but it comes to mind. 
So you bring in an outsider. You bring in an outsider who gives a consultation. Mm. And what the outsider who does the consultation is treated as someone who's very important. An expert. Expert, intelligent, someone who is going to be trusted by the people who are on it to receive basically crypto orientation. You trick them. Interesting. Yeah. You use an outsider who's esteemed to orient them and you teach them the basics of organizing and show them a mirror of themselves through the proxy of the expert. Hopefully you find someone who's able to break the news lightly. Because someone who's like, you might have run into this kind of problem. This is a common thing that happens in organizing and people are like, oh yeah, that, that is an issue. Yes, That's often in organizing, the meetings become the work in themselves. And at the end of meetings, people feel tired and exhausted with the organization. They're like, oh yeah, you're talking, you're preaching to the choir. And then that person's <laughs> like, and that's why meetings are just the time to check in on the work that you're all doing and pass essential resolutions that need consensus. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. And you want those votes to go quickly because everyone should have reviewed it and talked about it informally ahead of time. I'm like, oh, yeah, very interesting. And then that person could go move on to other basics of organizing. Like, for example, something that's fundamental is that your people need to believe that they can win. Otherwise, organizing won't work. So if you're being hopeless, if you're being negative, if you're criticizing people, you're not organizing. You're actually doing the opposite. You're putting up red lights. Yeah, we had, again, this effective organization I was a part of, the person who I was saying could have been this leader who kind of tie broke things. Very positive, very like we can achieve things. This is going to be big. This is going to be great. He would just like always with the vision and the ability to inspire confidence in that vision. That's huge. Like there's no such thing as hopeless organizing. If someone's hopeless, they're not an organizer. And I think that this is something that's really important. It's like really, really important. We talk about it all the time. We shouldn't be blind to the negative. Absolutely not. Like organizing is based on that sort of being agitated, being upset at the world and then yeah. deciding to make a difference about it. But you can't organize from the position of hopelessness. It's mathematically, scientifically, it's like trying to fly without a plane, just going against gravity. Hopeless organizing isn't a thing. We're all here to get together and do the thing that we don't think can be done. <laughs> Welcome to the meeting. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's structurally obvious why that doesn't work. So when you bring in this outsider to teach people how to organize as a crypto orientation to fix your wildly flailing organization, another thing they should teach them is that a campaign isn't a clique. Organizing efforts, they're for everyone. Hmm. They always have to be for everyone. Groups will reach natural large points where they break off into two, so they're able to continue recruiting people into it. That's natural and good. Another thing about organizing, people got to know, most organizing campaigns are made up of tiny conversations and points of contact, whether it's handing a flyer on the street, seeing a sticker on a pole, receiving a phone call, a robocall, makes a point of contact, establishes some narratives. That's what organizing is made of. Like, that's one of the functional sort of things about what makes organizing tick. It's these mm. tiny conversations, these little interactions. A five-minute conversation between you and a stranger can change their mind for three months or more. Scientific evidence to show that. So, and, I'd love to cite if I had it. I mean, I guess another way to go about if your organization isn't going well and maybe you don't have the clout to bring in a consultant and have all the people who are fighting sit down and argue about it is... Just to, I'm assuming there's people in the organization you like and who have similar ideas to you and just try to 
start projects together, try to get them thinking this way as well. And maybe mm -hmm. they have influence on other people, like yeah, one person at a time attempt to change the culture by being a leader and leading the group in this direction. It's, you know, not an easy thing, but yeah key thing about organizing is the push. And the push is when you push someone outside of their comfort zone. With fundraising, people think they don't want to give money, but then they're happy they did. Hmm. Or like someone is an introvert, they prefer to be alone, but then they actually find that going out in the street and handing out pamphlets is something that eases their anxiety because they're making a difference in the world. I know this guy who I worked with on an election campaign, and he had really, really serious anxiety. So much so that when I was like trying to train him and stuff, he'd like need a moment sometimes because he'd have like these waves of anxiety about interacting hmm. with people. But he loved door knocking. He originally got into door knocking because... He he said he can't just like sit by while bad governments get elected. Right. And this is like a little thing that I can do. And it makes me feel less anxious about the world to overcome my anxiety of oh, talking yeah. to strangers. Yeah. The net anxiety is lower because I know that I did what I could. And like, I'm sure anyone with anxiety can tell you, like, if you manage to overcome it and, and do something anyway that you were worried about, you always like, that's a good feeling. <laughs> like the, it's a bad feeling leading up to it. But once you've crested through the anxiety and it's kind of like on the decline, usually as soon as you started doing the thing, like all the anxieties in the pre lead up to something like maybe before you go door knocking. But mm -hmm. once you've done a couple and you're in the groove, like the anxiety f goes away and you're like, oh, wow, I did it. I'm brave and good. And like that <laughs> feels good. I was a fundraiser for a while as like a job that I did. And I nearly quit my second week because I hated asking for money so much. It just, I found it so uncomfortable, but somehow I received the right encouragement and the right sort of orientation. And I was able to just get over that sort of hump of mm. not liking asking for money. And I managed to hit this place where I started finding a way to enjoy it and like the fun of the sort of conversation. And when I realized that no one was ever sad that they gave money, so then making the job of me to like playfully convince them that it's worth it right. and then thank them and tell them that they're great. I didn't feel bad about that once I got over that hump. But anyways, the point is that I nearly quit because I hated it so much, but I pushed myself over that barrier mm -hmm. and I'm a better organizer to this day as a result of that because right. fundraising is so fundamental to any organization under capitalism. Right. So you need to generate revenue. So yeah, you got to do it. Um, <laughs> someone's got to do it. Everyone's got to do it a bit to, yeah. in order to organize. You sound like a great organizer. Just, I give a shit about this. And I know some really, really smart people who have taught me some really amazing things and have done some incredible organizing. Um, I've got some disagreements with Rick Falkvinje, the founder of the Swedish Pirate Party. Since I first was introduced to his ideas, we were very much in sync. And over time, I'd say that he's moved into sort of a right libertarian direction, although we have a lot of things in common still. And I've moved it more in a clearly left libertarian perspective mm. and with more fondness for using the state to fix uh, insurmountable social problems than libertarians typically would. But so we've got some disagreements, but he's taught me some really invaluable stuff in this book. Um, another book I'd recognize, I, I would recommend is called Secrets of a Successful Organizer. It's written for union organizing. Really solid book. A few tidbits from there are probably sprinkled in here as well because it's influential. Awesome. I guess that's about it. I think we kind of figured out the meeting problem thing at the beginning of the episode. You had a whole bunch of ideas. I didn't have any ideas. And, you know, now I think if I could try and, you know, sum up the problem of meetings isn't actually a problem of meetings. Meetings can be effective. The problem is that there's all these structural problems and inefficiencies elsewhere in the organization. And so all of this other stuff ends up 
coming to the surface in the meetings. People start arguing, egos get involved, and you know things devolve. But the way to fix that isn't in the meetings, and it isn't in completely eliminating meetings or anything. The way to fix that is through understanding all the stuff that you've been laying out, being a leader, yeah. changing the culture of the organization. In the legitimate sort of leadership that exists in nature, that's okay. Like, be that leader. Start being that leader. I mean, and everyone should be a leader in an organization as a cheerleader. Yeah. And they're painting the target red. They're orienting people towards what the point is. When people start arguing, the leader is the person who stands up and says, you know, I think we're all here today because we want to end homelessness and double vacation time. And then people are like, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're like, and I think... That we can do it together as long as we all work hard. You know, we have these little differences, but we can do it. We can do it and we are doing it, goddammit. I'm Look so at proud seven of all of agenda us. items we just breezed through in half an hour, passed all these resolutions. Oh, and right on schedule, we are scheduled to end at nine and it's nine now and we got through the agenda. So let's go, everyone. Thanks, thanks for all your hard work. Keep it up. Now we're going to have drinks, socialize, enjoy each other's company. This was an effective meeting. We all feel energized at the end of it. We all have things to go do now. This is great. Welcome back to the final segment of Aaron. Now, we've been talking a lot about organizing and talking to some experts in the field of organizing. So for our final segment, we've brought in a real world organizer. His name's Sean Villiers, and he is here to try and organize me, <laughs> you know, to pitch me on some ideas, see if he can spur me to action. Sean, thanks for trying this out. Let's well, see what you got. Thanks for having me on the show, Aaron. I have to be, <laughs> I have to be honest. I, I love it. I watch it all the time. Oh, thank you. I'm a big, I, uh, big fan. It's my favorite daytime show. Just your favorite daytime show, not your favorite show of all shows, day, oh, night. Oh, sweetie, are you okay? Just kidding. <laughs> I don't like to rank daytime shows and nighttime shows against each other. It's like oh, ranking a, apples and oranges. That's a bit weird. Totally but, different. Uh, no, it's normal. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I'm just kidding. It's Maybe that's normal. I it don't is know. normal. If you say so, just kidding. So <laughs> come on, let's get down to business. Uh, Organize me, baby. Okay, so I want to talk about some of the key things about this organization that I'm a part of now, the, the values that we stand for in the world that we stand to achieve together. So we've got a situation now where people don't have enough vacation time. They don't have enough time to spend with their family. People in the United States don't have a government-guaranteed vacation time. And there's a great number of people in the U.S. who have no vacation time at all, which is really sad. Um, oh, wow. Babies don't have a vacation. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm glad that you're kidding because it's really important that we do actually double people's vacation time. Would you be willing to make a donation to our victory fund to double vacation time? Hmm. I don't know if you've sold me on this yet. Okay. Well, we've got other priorities as well that are very, very important. Another is the total abolition of homelessness. Oh. Right now, we've got a situation where people are sleeping on the streets and people are dying out there. It's a moral nightmare that this could happen in our society. But change yeah, is total, possible. I, the time mm. to act is now and the person to act is you. You know, I, I was going to make a joke about how homelessness is not so bad and then say just kidding, but it it is that bad. Will you please donate towards the abolition of homelessness? No. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Of course it's You're amazing, man. Thanks so much for doing that. That's, no, that's that, huge. Thank you for allowing me to help. 
so okay and scene um i've just organized you see i've actually agitated you yeah uh giving you hope created urgency and then brought you well with that last segment wrapped up i guess all that's left to say is thank you for listening everyone yeah thank you for listening everyone it's been a pleasure being on aaron's show today and yeah and it's been a pleasure having you on just kidding <laughs> no just it's, kidding about that just, just kidding, kidding on that yeah, yeah, yeah good just good good you vile piece of shit just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding can't treat human Love beings you. that way just kidding Next time on Seriously Wrong, the idea that you use to motivate your swarm needs to be tangible, credible, inclusive, and epic. So ending homelessness, let's check it against that. Is it tangible? Yes. Is it credible? Is it possible to happen? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Is it inclusive? Is it something everyone can get behind? I think so, most people. And is it epic in scope? Yeah, definitely. Ending homelessness is perfect according to this criteria, which makes me think, man, this criteria might really have something to it because we really need to fucking end homelessness right away. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree with you agreeing, and it gives me faith that your capacity to evaluate and then come to agreements (laughs) is finely tuned. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>